today's message is really not about, it is a little bit about application and how you can apply the book of Hebrews to your life. But really, the, this first message, I'm really going to spend some time in just building the foundation and the context uh, by which the writer was writing to us. And so I want to start with just uh, this passage out of Hebrews 12 first, uh, because I think this sums up and gives up, and then we're going to end with this passage as well today. But uh, the writer in Hebrews says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Let's just read it together as we honor the word of the Lord. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I've memorized it with the author and the finisher of our faith. So, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So, has anybody ever wanted to quit anything? The word perseverance here, as we start out our study in Hebrews, much of what this word perseverance is going to be more of the theme of what the writer is talking to these people, the Hebrew people. And I don't know about you, but I've wanted to quit on many occasions with things in my life. Anybody else? And that was what was going on in the book of Hebrews is these Jews were tempted to quit. Everybody say the word quit. And the word perseverance in this passage means the power to withstand hardship. The power to withstand hardship. And so maybe uh, a synonym that the word for this word perseverance is these were discouraged Jews who had a temptation to quit and to shrink back. And there's many warnings in the book of Hebrews. But the theme that, that, that was going on is there was a temptation to quit. Now, I remember in high school wanting to quit a few things. I can remember running killers in basketball practice and wanting to quit running with perseverance. I can remember and still remember and often remember as I've re-signed up my Y membership when I start exercising how often I want to quit. Has anybody ever wanted to quit exercising? January will be packed at the Y as people re-enlist in not wanting to quit. I have wanted to quit ministry. I have wanted to quit on many things in my life. And this is, the, this is the context by which we are going to be looking at the book of Hebrews. And we're going to get into why were they wanting to quit and what was going on with them. I remember watching my boys practice basketball. And I can remember how many times they had to run back and forth, back and forth in practice. I remember so many guys puking in the, in the uh, trash can that they had on the basketball court. That was there for a reason. What was that running producing in them? And what was perseverance going to give them? Strength and stamina to what? To win the prize. For the mark, you know, it was a trophy that was going to fade. None of those boys are going to be remembered 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, right? It was a trophy that was going to be given to them if they make that mark. 
But the Bible says that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is this pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And so today I'm going to go over this brief, brief overview. Because everyone in this room, you think about right now, what is the thing that you want to quit on right now? What is the thing that you've been tempted to quit on in your own life? I have had several meetings over the last three to six weeks. There's people who want to quit on marriages. There are people who want to quit on relationships. There are people who want to quit their jobs. There are people who want to quit on life. There are people who want to commit suicide. There are people who want to give it up. It's not worth going any further. Now, maybe you're in a really good place and you're going, oh, man, I don't want to quit nothing. Well, the way I look at the word of God is you're either coming out of a trial, going in one, or you're in the middle of it, right? And every one of us have trials. Every one of us have tribulations. Every one of us have things that are going on in our life. And so in that context today, as we read the book of Hebrews, what I want to do, I want us to get into the book of Hebrews. I want us to get into the life of what was going on in these people, and I want us to look at what was going on with them so that we can draw strength from what God was saying to them as we go through what we go through in our life. Are you guys cool with that today? So in the book of Hebrews, we do not really know who the writer of Hebrews is. There has been many speculations and much theology, much debate, many, many, many conflicts of who they think. Most early church writers felt like it was Paul, but there's so many things in this letter that is just not Paul. Uh, but it could have been Paul. It could have been Paul, Apollos. That's kind of where I lend to, to believe it was probably Apollos. I don't know. It may have been uh, Barnabas. It may have been any of the, but one thing we do know is they are really, they, they are a, a, a scholar in Greek. They're a scholar in the interpretation of the Greek, which is the Septuagint. And, it's, and, and what they quote from and where they go in the study of Hebrews, it is a very learned, smart person, and they are a Jew who is speaking to Jews, okay? So the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it necessarily, but we know they're very scholarly, and we know they're very, very smart. We know that they're very understanding of the Greek, and we also know that they're speaking to Jews in this Bible, or in this, in this book, but we don't really know who they're speaking to, okay we don't know if they're speaking to the jews in jerusalem we don't know if they're speaking to the jews in rome but we do know that this writer is speaking to jews now who were the jews the now when i say this they were christian jews so these were jews who had confessed jesus christ as lord they had left judaism they had left the israelite faith and they have they have believed in christ and no longer are they sacrificing animals. No longer are they living under the Old Testament law. But these people that he is addressing are Jews who have converted to Christianity. Are you guys with me on that? Because this is important in setting the context of what they're going to be going through. And so we don't know the specific people, but we do know that they are Jews. And so in this book of, of Hebrews, the first 10 chapters... The, the writer spends a lot of time talking about doctrine, and in the last couple chapters, he talks. There's encouragement, so it's a, a, it's a it's a book of, of of doctrine, and it's a book of of encouragement, because they were wanting to quit. Okay, 
and, it, and it's going to be important for us to understand. When I, what I mean by doctrine is I mean theology. I mean these are the foundational principles. There is more Old Testament theology with New Testament theology and how the Old Covenant and the New Covenant have come together. And it is rich in theology. The theology of Christ was both man and God. Jesus is our high priest. He, I mean, the theology of what Christ came to do is rich. So if you want to know about your faith and you want to know why you believe what you believe, Hebrews is a great book, Romans as well, but Hebrews is a great book to understand doctrine. And so we're, I'm going to kind of hit the highlights of this doctrine as we go into it. But today is kind of an, an overview of that. So one thing we also know about the people that he's speaking to, we know they have been in the faith for a long time. Matter of fact, there's a warning in uh, the first part of the Hebrews where it says, you should be mature by now. You, you, you're not as far, you should be teachers of the word of God but you're still on milk. And so we know that the, the people he's writing to have been in the Lord quite a while. And even in chapter 10 of Hebrews, we see that they, were, they had went through all kinds of things. And so these weren't just people who had just gotten saved. Now, there were different levels of maturity of people within the group that he was writing to. Just like here, there's some people that have been saved for three weeks, but there's some people who have been saved for 45 years. Right? But... He's talking to a group of people who have been in the Lord for quite some time. Just like us. Some of us have been in the Lord for quite some time, right? And so he's, yeah, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. And you may say, well, why is this all important? It will be important as we go through this because it helps you. Because one thing I've been noticing in my discipleship group with my guys is it is, it is so easy to read the scripture just for myself and what I get from the word and it's much more difficult to read the scripture based upon the context and what was going on with those people I'm trying to help us as a congregation it is so much more important for you not to just read the scripture to get something out of it just for you but to get what you're getting for you from the context of what God was saying to those people Are, is, am I making sense and so it's really important for you to understand the context of who he was speaking to, because this is going to make a little more sense by the time we get to the end of my message. So what was he writing to these Jewish Christians? What was going on, and why were they so discouraged? You guys can say you're discouraged on certain areas of your life, but what, why, were they, why were they discouraged? We've got to understand, and, I, and I, I'm going to bring some of this into context, but these folks were suffering and being persecuted because they had converted to Christianity. They had said yes to Jesus, and they were being persecuted, and they were suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Guess what, guys? In America, we don't know what that's like. Maybe a little bit, but we don't know what that's like. I'm going to hopefully bring that in context for us today because it's really important to get the context of this and what they were actually going through. And we're going to go through a lot today of what they were going through. And so the writer warns them not to shrink back, not to give up, not to quit. 
And as I said earlier, there were several warnings. So let's look at Hebrews 10. We're going to start at the end of Hebrews, or towards the end of Hebrews, and then we're going to go back to Hebrews. But Hebrews 10 kind of gives us an idea of what they had been through and what they were going through to set the context of today's message. Is everybody awake? All right. Remember those early days, earlier days, after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were, mis- who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And But my righteous one will live by faith. And... I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So we can see here the writer is showing us a little glimpse into what they had been through and obviously what they were still going through, or he never would have had to say, do not throw away your confidence. You need to persevere. This persecution was still going on with these people and the suffering that they had been had been going through had not stopped and so historically we do know in the books of josephus and some history historians we do know so this book was written approximately 65 a.d okay and so we know that nero was persecuting christians in about 64 there was another wave of suffering. So there, there was the wave of suffering after Christ was resurrected and everybody got, he got saved and the persecution and everything that broke out shortly after that. But here we are a few years later, even again, and there's another uprising in 64 with Nero and he is persecuting Christians. He's putting them in jail. There's all kinds of, there is a theme within the region, within Rome and Jerusalem. There is, there is other persecutions that we know historically took place okay so we know there is suffering that's going on through the emperor nero paul was in prison at this time and he would die about a year later so we're setting the time frame of this book so we with the books being written nero's persecuting paul's in prison matter of fact paul is soon to die we know timothy was arrested and timothy was released from jail So I I just want you guys to put in context what our Jewish brothers and sisters were going through, okay? I made a list of this, of the suffering list. Tom shared a message not too long ago how we're not acquainted with suffering. And I say yes and amen, we are not acquainted with suffering in America. The suffering, I will say we do. These folks were suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Most of the suffering that we go through in America is suffering because we're not obedient to Jesus Christ. And because we're not obedient to Jesus Christ, the circumstances that come on our, our life are circumstances that we put on ourselves because we're not obeying Jesus Christ. Disclaimer, right? And so we can whine and complain and say, oh God, deliver us from whatever we're going through. But in America, most of that is we're, we're putting it on ourselves. 
but that's another topic for another day. That should really encourage you, right? <laughs> so, as we look at, let's put in perspective the temptation that these Jews had to quit. Everybody say the word quit. Your temptation to quit and my temptation to quit is there. I want to I I just go through these four briefly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. But the great conflict that they, it says in, in the scripture that we just read, I put these five points from the scripture we just read, okay? He said you had a great conflict that was full of suffering. Great suffering and distress due to adversity. Adversity is a state of serious and continued difficulties. It is have, need, the need to have courage in the midst of adversity. I want to remind us that the, the suffering that these folks had went through was not a six-month journey. We're talking the suffering they went through was years. Are you with me? If you were suffering for years, would you be tempted to quit? Okay. Publicly exposed to insult and persecution. That was, they, they were disrespected. They were, there was scornful abuse that they went through. That means to treat cruelly or with violence. Persecution is hostility and ill treatment because of beliefs. That they were being treated hostily because of their belief in Jesus Christ. This is still going on throughout the world today. The persecuted church. Stood side by side others. You knew, you knew being mistreated. You stood side by side others. Wow. Stood side by side others. You knew being Boy, I missed that, butch that, didn't I? You stood side by side others as they were being mistreated in prison. We know how cruel prison was. We know that when you were thrown in jail, you were beaten, you were flogged. We know you were chained, you were put in a damp, dark place. What was Paul and Silas doing when they were in the jail? Paul and Silas, when they were in that dark place, they began to exalt the name of Jesus. And what began to happen? They didn't ask for God to deliver them. They began to worship and praise the king of kings. And there was an earthquake and the jail opened and their chains fell off, not just of them, but of others. Correct. And so these guys were not exactly uh, the Taj Mahal of Henry County Jail. Henry County Jail is a deluxe pad compared to what the jail looked like in, in Rome and in Jerusalem. Are you guys with me? We would have a revolt in the jail system saying, we're not getting our rights. Yeah. Matter of fact, other people had to bring you food if you wanted to eat when you're in jail. Remember how Paul was in jail and they had to bring food to him? How, oh, you mean we don't get three-course meal at the Henry County Jail? This is not right. We were, I mean, Shelly shared the other day how when she's up at the jail, there's this one block where there's no air conditioning. It was 100 degrees in there. They were sweating and they, they were, there were no rights. And, and this jail would have even been worse than that. And then I love number five, joyfully accepted the confiscation, the confiscation of their property. Can you imagine, Alex, somebody coming and taking your, you're in, in Kate's house? Can you imagine them taking your car, Shane? 
all because you're serving Jesus Christ. What about that little puppy dog of mine, Bella? I think that's a possession I could do without. I would say, okay, sure, you can have her, but I'm keeping the wife. Bella is a gift from God. I'm still working through that, forgiving God for that one. No. She's just a little too aggressive. Church, can you really think about what would your life be if you were ridiculed all the time? If you were walking down in, in Walmart and people insulted you as you're walking through there because of your faith in Jesus. Can you imagine that beautiful furniture you have in your house actually just being taken and you're not actually able to go back to your home who would you live with what would you do i mean put yourself in the storyline guys put yourself in the storyline of hebrews that's the kind of suffering that was going on I was joking with Jeff before service. I said, yeah, the sufferings we are going through are like a hangnail compared to this. But we act like the hangnail is like this. Now, I'm not trying to guilt us in the trials that we're in. I'm trying to set the stage of why they were so tempted to quit and how easily we quit when our suffering is so much, so much smaller than this, but what if our suffering was to get worse in America? The writer in Hebrews is writing this book because the Holy Spirit knows there is a temptation for these believers not to persevere after 30 years of this kind of suffering. There was a temptation to quit, to shrink back from their faith. They must have really been discouraged. And they were probably being tempted to retreat back into Judaism because at least Judaism was a sanctioned religion. It was an accepted religion in their day. And it probably was a temptation to resort back to Judaism because at least the suffering would quit. And there's, there is proof historically that many apostated from the faith. They left their faith in Christ and returned back to Judaism. And why do you think that is? Because the suffering they were going through was that tough. And so when we're reading the book of Hebrews this week, put it in context of what these believers were going through. That way when you see the warnings that he's talking to them about and he's telling them what to believe, you can understand how much you need to believe. And that your, what you believe is what you'll behave. And the, and the author of Hebrews is showing them what they need to believe about Jesus so that they can persevere in the trial. And that's how it's going to help us as we go through this study. So, have you ever felt like giving up? I asked you that earlier, right? Have you ever felt like you were discouraged and wanting to quit? 
Well, I want to remind us that the suffering that they went through is nothing like what we're going through, but what would happen if it did get that way? I want to remind us what took place in just Alabama not too long ago. Does anybody know who the Alabama Judge Roy Moore was? He was a Supreme Court judge in Alabama. And some of you may wonder what's going on with Joy, with uh, Mr. Moore these days. But uh, because he was removed from the bench for refusing to remove the Ten Commandments from his courtyard, courthouse. He refused to remove the Ten Commandments from his courthouse. And they removed him from office. He refused to balk on same-sex marriage. And he was stripped of his judgeship. Now they're trying to remove his ability to to be a lawyer with his degree. Trying to remove his, all because he's trying to stand up for the cause of Christ. The ACLU it sued him for displaying those Ten Commandments in the court foyer. And he has been stripped of his judgeship, and they're trying to strip his right to practice law in Alabama. And here's a poem that Judge uh, Moore has recently uh, written. America, question mark, the beautiful. Oh, so you used to be. Land of the pilgrim's pride, I'm glad they'll never see. Babies piled in dumpsters, abortion on demand. Oh, sweet land of liberty, your house is on the sand. Our children wander aimlessly, poisoned by cocaine, choosing to indulge their lust when God has said abstain. From sea to shining sea, our nation turns away from the teaching of God's love and a need to always pray. We've kept God in our temples, how callous we have grown, when earth is but his footstool and heaven is his throne. We've voted in government, we've voted in a government that's rotting at the core, appointing, appointing godless judges who throw reason out the door. Too soft to place a killer in a well-deserved tomb, but grave enough but brave enough to kill a baby before he leaves the womb. You think that God's not angry, that our land's a moral slum, moral slum, how much longer will he wait before his judgment comes? How are we to face our God from whom we cannot hide? What then is left for us to do but see stem this evil tide? If we who are his children will humbly turn and pray, seek his holy face, and mend our evil way. Then God will heal from he hear from heaven and forgive us our sin. He'll heal our sickly land and those who live within. But America the beautiful, if you don't, then you will see a sad but holy God withdraw his hand from thee. Judge Roy Moore. What if the persecution came to America? Where would you stand? Would your faith make it through it? I think in America, if that kind of persecution hit our land, there would be a mass exodus from this land. 
the word of God has got to become a living reality in your life. The word is a lamp to your feet. It is a light to your path. And if we make stands for Jesus Christ in this culture with the way our culture is going, will your faith stand? The Hebrew children, the Hebrew Jews were struggling with shrinking back. And I believe even now as we talk about the book of Hebrews, God is warning this church, us as a people, you have got to get serious about your faith. It is not business as usual. It is not business as usual. We cannot stay at home playing video games and not getting in the Word of God. We can't stay doing, doing uh, stuff that's about us. I believe God's warning the church in America that it could get this rough. I know this isn't a positive message. But I think God's trying to make us strong. I think he's trying to mature the body of Christ, just like he was trying to mature the book, the, the Jews in the book of Hebrews. He was trying to get them to say, hey, guys, listen to the voice of God. Heed. Do not be like your ancestors in the time of the rebellion when they hardened their hearts to the Lord. But hear my voice, hear my voice. And how do we hear his voice? Yes, it's through the word of God. Yes, it's through the prophetic voice. Yes, it's through other people. But God, we have got to hear God through his word. I cannot say I would do very well with that list. Anybody want to be honest? If you had everything taken, how, how would you do? Would you be tempted to... To flee your faith? Would you be tempted to quit? And so the supremacy of Jesus Christ is the answer to that. So what these Jews were going through was they were suffering intensely, and now the writer comes to him in, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and he begins to talk about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He begins to, he begins to assault what they believed at first, and how they've been shrunk back away from it. They should be teachers now. And now he's coming in and he is giving them a foundation in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That's why I love that song when we sang this morning. It's like, oh my gosh, thank you for singing that worship team. The supremacy of God is what we were talking and singing about this morning. And in the book of Hebrews, the first three chapters, which I'm not going to go into details. You can read it on your own. But the he, in Hebrews, it centers on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is all you need. Say that. Jesus Christ is all I need. Jesus Christ is all I need. The focus in the beginning, the first three chapters again, was that Jesus is the full, final, best, or exact expression of God in all history. Jesus is better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the prophets. That although the angels were great and they brought the law, and though Moses brought the law from down Mount Sinai, and though the prophets uh, prophesied and they, and they declared the word of God, that they are all 
inferior to the Christ in the, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the, the Messiah. And why is he doing that? He is assaulting, and he, no, he's not assaulting. He's reminding them of what they believe because, again, their behavior of wanting to quit is only following the fact that they're losing the belief that Jesus Christ is the only way, that he is the supreme one. So in our trials, when we're getting discouraged, when we're frustrated and we we want to quit, guess what we've done? We've gotten our eyes off of the supremacy of God. We've gotten our eyes off of his supremacy, and we've been focusing on the trial and what's going on in our lives. And so what we've got to do, the first, the, the passage that I read at the very beginning, we must fix our eyes, we must fix our gaze on the supremacy of God. And that's what he does in the first three chapters of Hebrews. He talks about the supremacy of Christ, the doctrine that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the supreme one. He's the exact representation of God. Because they were tempted to go back into Judaism. And under Judaism, it was the lamb, it was the sacrifice of an animal that was inferior to what Jesus had provided. Are you guys with me? And so if you're discouraged, if you're wanting to quit in any area of your life, it's because you've gotten out of focus, just like the the Jews in this time, they had gotten out of focus of Christ and his supremacy because the trial had lasted so long. Anybody had some trials that have lasted a long time? Anybody had a trial that's lasted a long time? Years and years and years. I was even recalling in my brain this week as I was thankful to the Lord and Abraham asked us to go through uh, the table and what we were thankful for. It was a hallmark moment as we called it. And... uh, Of course, it was all about family, but later that evening as I was going to bed, I was just thanking the Lord for everything. And I was like, oh God, thankful you have gotten me through every trial that I've went through. When I wanted to quit, when Karen was seven years infertile and we could not have children, how you were faithful through it and how we wanted to quit there at the end. We wanted to go ahead and get all the shots and infertility stuff. But I'm telling you, God, you were faithful. You were faithful that even after 20 years of my wife having pain and pain and so much pain because of endometriosis, And how you, God, over 20 years of suffering she went through, God, you healed her womb. We didn't have to have a hysterectomy, but you you healed it. You gave us children, and you were so faithful to be the supreme king of kings, lord of lords. You are faithful, even in suffering. And what about your trial? What about the things you're going through? Don't quit. Don't give in. Jesus is the supreme one, is what Hebrews is talking about. So in their suffering, 
he reminds them who they are suffering for is greater than their suffering. I want to read Hebrews as we look at he, how he starts with the Hebrew, the Jews, on how he starts to describe Jesus and how he begins to talk about him. How are we doing for time? Ten till. Okay, good. Oh, foundational, guys. This is all foundation. I began to second-guess myself this morning. I was struggling. God, your word is good. So let's read this. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir. Everybody say heir. Of all. Everybody say all. He's the heir of all things. Foundational truth. And through whom also he made the universe. Foundational point. What? Jesus was with God in the beginning. And Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, they created the universe. Can I have an amen? amen. Foundation. Not the Big Bang, but God's Big Bang. He said, let there be. And there was. That needs to be in the books in our high schools. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification of sins, everybody say glory. Are you glad your sins have been purified? Anybody else glad? Yes. I know some of my ugly past. Is anybody else? Speaking of ugly past, rabbit trail. Judge Moore, they, he went to run for Senate, and he got beat. You know how he got beat? A bunch of about three women came back and said that when he was in thirty years old that he had had sexual misconduct towards them. You know, I wish these politicians would say, "Yes, I had a messed up life, just like you." But Jesus redeemed me, and that's not who I am anymore. Even if he didn't do it, my guess is some of it's lies. Because, gosh, dude, you see me at Ball State? I was a fool. If anybody says I was, did stupid stuff, I did. I just didn't have sex with anybody. Gosh, stupid. We've all been through it. Aren't you glad your sins are purified? Somebody, is anybody glad? That's a foundational principle. My sins have been washed away. They no longer exist. They're under the sea of forgetfulness. Anybody glad? So don't remind me of my past. I want to remind the enemy of his future. You know what I mean? Gosh. Yeah, I've done some stupid stuff. I was a little stupid eating this week. Anybody else? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became so much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So 
The writer in Hebrews begins to paint this picture. He's superior than the, the prophets. He's superior. He's superior than the angels. He goes on, he talks about Moses and how Moses was the mediator of, a new, uh, of the old covenant and how Jesus is now the mediator of the new covenant. And you need to study what the word mediator means. You need to study all these words about who he is because when we're talking about worship this morning and discovering the beauty of God, that's the beauty of God that we're talking about. We're talking about discovering who he is and fixing our eyes on who he is because when we see him for who he is, guess what? It changes who we are. So what happens is we then dishonor him when we don't honor the word. God's good all the time. So he's teaching them through this scripture about the, the superiority and that Jesus is all you need. He is your all in all. Not the law, not the sacrifices and rituals. Jesus is superior to all of that. He's superior. He's the best. He's the final expression of God in all history. And God is now speaking to us through his son is what he's telling them because they're wanting to quit. They're wanting to shrink back. They're wanting to go back to Judaism. And he's saying, don't go there. He is the fulfillment of what you experienced in Judaism. He is the exact representation of that to you. Don't go back. He even goes into further and a little another rabbit trail. He talks about those who have been enlightened and have known the truth. It is impossible for them to go back. And they're just trampling on Christ again. And really what he's talking about there, we're not... I'm not going to go get into once saved, always saved, but what he's talking about there, he's again talking about going back into Judaism. That if you go back to Judaism, there is no forgiveness of sins for you. There is, you're not going to be able to come back. If you think that going back to the law and the old sacrifice and going back into Judaism, if you do that, you're going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit and what Jesus has done. And so that's a whole other topic, but it's really good. It all fits together so beautifully if you read it. I'm getting off track. <clears throat> Look, there's a bird. <laughs> so the writer in Hebrews is establishing the doctrine of Christ's deity and his superiority in their hearts. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this. He was fully man, but fully God. Had, and he had come as a man, and he had to come as a man to fulfill the, fulment, the fulfillment of the law. And if the Old Testament or the Old Covenant that was brought through angels, Moses, and prophets was binding, he's saying to them, now how much more superior and binding is the new covenant in Christ over the old covenant? Jesus is all you need to overcome. Jesus is all you need. Say it again with me. Jesus is all you need. So as we talk about Hebrews and we start studying in our discipleship groups with our children and all that kind of stuff, remember the context is they were suffering, they were struggling, they were wanting to retreat. And so when you're discipling your children and they want to quit with something, Hebrews is a great book to go to. When they want to quit and you're saying, no, I don't want my kids to quit. Why do I not want my kids to quit on stuff? If my children never hear the word no, and they never hear no, you can't quit, guess what they do in later in life? <laughs> By golly, they quit. They don't go through tough stuff. And so then when they get in a marriage and it's rough, they don't persevere. 
And they either shrink back and say, give in, oh, well, I guess it's going to be hell from here on out. Or they trust in the supremacy of God. That Jesus is all I need. And that if I, if I, if I get so close to Jesus, if I allow the fullness the, of his deity and his presence into my life, it can change my marriage. It can change my relationships. It can change the outcome of what trial I'm in. So in your trial, what are you going to do? If you feel like quitting, what are you going to do? Are you believing in the supremacy of Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is all you need? Or are you like the Hebrews? And you want to resort back to the world and the inferior pleasures of this world to comfort you from the trial you're in and you want to quit. See, what I find in my own life is when the things get tough, if I don't focus on the supremacy of Christ, I shrink back to wanting easy. I shrink back to letting it the easy, the easy way out versus focusing upon the Lord and His glory and the supremacy of His name. Why do you think worship is such a key part of us winning the battle? Why do you think we emphasize worshiping the Lord so much in this house? You can't handle life without him you can't handle life without him why are we emphasizing the word so much right now because you can't live life without the word of god you will not renew your mind without the word of god so i'm going to move on quickly and land the plane maybe so right now, I believe God is wanting to enlarge our faith and our trust in his supremacy, just like the songs we sang this morning. And I believe that it's been said here several times, and even Tom prophesied it, that we're in a new season of refreshing and focus. Does anybody believe that? Does anybody else believe that? The Spirit of God is moving to empower us to overcome our trials through believing in his supremacy and that he is all we need. And the writer in Hebrews said it from the, we read it at the beginning, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He's giving us a glimpse of what it's going to take to persevere, and if you're going to persevere through your trial, you must fix your gaze. If you're tempted to quit right now in any area of your life, you must fix your gaze. If you're wanting to shrink back and say it's not worth it, you must fix your eyes on Jesus. And that's what he was doing to the Hebrew people. He was helping them fix their gaze. He was helping them to renew their mind in the doctrinal truth of the supremacy and the foundation of who Christ was. And so everything we read in Hebrews is going to be based upon that context, that they were wanting to quit and that he's teaching them the, about the foundation of Jesus Christ in our lives. The other passage out of Hebrews 3.1 that is much like it. Therefore, what's he call us? What's he call us? 
holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. Stand with me. Next week, we are going to look at what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus being our high priest and what the significance of that is for us. And we're going to draw some courage from this biblical truth, and I believe it's going to empower our hearts. But I first want to lead us through a time of prayer and really repentance, if we could. I know I've had to repent after preparing this message. of wanting to quit, of wanting to shrink back, of not wanting to press in. Anybody else had that issue sometimes? So if you would close your eyes with me and just, I'm, I'm going to take us through a prayer. And if you really want to really apologize to God this morning with me about wanting to quit, of getting our eyes on ourselves and our trial rather than him, then I would encourage you to pray this with us. Amen. So, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, my high priest, I come asking for forgiveness. Forgive me for making it about myself and my trials and forgive me for wanting to quit. Forgive me for the discouragement I feel. Forgive me for getting my eyes off of you. Forgive me for putting my focus on the trial. Forgive me for making my trial larger than you. Lord, help me. Help me this week to fix my eyes on you. Help me to understand the beauty of who you are. Take the, 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 the cloudy eyes off of me. And help me to see clearly. Help me to see you are all I need. That you are all I need. Open my eyes this week that I might see the supremacy of who you are. And that it might encourage me to overcome every situation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.